you're rocking the, the jet green right now. Adam Sandler. Right. Number one, you were Rich Eisen. The second movie, I see Brad Hirschberg <laughs> being your father. Dennis Miller. The autumn wind is caused by global warming. <laughs> Uh, a legend in the booth, Jim Brockmeyer. I do love watching Tebow play. I mm-hmm. gotta say, he just he combines all the fiery leadership of Ray Lewis with the uh, with the throwing ability of Ray Lewis. <laughs> and uh... I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. Welcome to the latest edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast presented by Bud Light. Chock full of fun as we enter week 15, only three weeks to go in the National Football League. And the AFC has no fewer than four teams at 10 and 3. And the seven and uh, five teams last week, there were five of them. Only two of them won. Tim Tebow pulling one out again. Another miracle finish. And I know how that language and what it's tinged with, especially with him, but it really was a miracle. The man had 11 straight incompletions against the Bears team that he did score against late, but the Bears the Bears had the game in their hands. All they had to do was just run out the clock, and mystifyingly, Marion Barber runs out of bounds. And what that did was open the door, and everybody knew that Tebow time was hitting. As soon as Marion Barber ran out of bounds, you knew that the Bears would have at least a minute left for Tebow to move down the field and and get his kicker in place to kick a field goal in the thin Rocky Mountain air, 59 yards, boom. Proving that Tebow time affects all three phases of the game. And then the Bears get the ball first, and Marion Barber's running it down the field, and Caleb Haney's moving it down the field, and Barber suddenly fumbles. You knew that was over then. Tebow now 8-5, one clear of the field in the AFC West. And the New York Jets, everything broke perfectly for them last week. Everybody else who was 7-5 and five lost. The Jets have won three in a row, and the Jets are now the sixth seed right now in the AFC playoff picture. Meanwhile, the other New York team had a great Sunday night. The Giants and the Cowboys, what a superb game that was. The Giants down 12 in the fourth quarter, come back and win it. They now lead the NFC East with three games to go. The Cowboys are now on the outside looking in at the 8-5 and five Falcons, who we'll see on Thursday night kicking off Week 15 on NFL Network, taking on the Jaguars. And the 8-5 and five Detroit Lions, who go to Oakland this week, with Indomitian and Sue back in the mix. Oakland needs to win that game. Both teams need to win that game. That's a big game in Week number 15. The Ravens are in San Diego. The Chargers keep on watching Tim Tebow pull one out after another. That uh, they need help. <laughs> and if Tebow has the help that people think that he has, uh, San Diego's not getting that help. We're going to talk about all of that with our guests on the show. The Patriots are the ones playing Tim Tebow this week. We'll talk about that with Matt Damon. He's got a movie coming out, We Bought a Zoo, in a theater near you on December 23rd. He's one of the good guys. He is the same as he has ever been. Fame has not affected this man. It's awesome. Big Patriot fan. He's locked in. Wait till you hear what he has to say about the Patriots, Tebow, Packers. He's locked in. We'll talk about that game and the rest of the NFL with the star of We Bought a Zoo, a movie that you should go see. It's a Cameron Crowe movie. I mean, it's got everything that you expect from a Cameron Crowe movie in it. And it's Scarlett Johansson as a zookeeper. Come on now. 
You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying. As Jim Moore Sr. would say, she's a fox. She's a fox. We'll talk about that game with Matt Damon. The Giants-Cowboys game was called by Al Michaels, the all-time great announcer of NBC Sports, Sunday Night Football in America. Al Michaels will be here in studio. He's calling the Ravens and Chargers. He called the opening game between the Saints and Packers, which looks like right now could be your NFC championship game. I know the Niners are uh, one, uh, one conference game better than the Saints, which is why they're still the two seed, even though the Saints have now matched them in wins on the season. The Saints are the three seed. We'll talk about all of the playoff possibilities with Al Michaels, who will be calling the uh, first uh, wildcard night game, as he always does on NBC. And he'll be calling the Super Bowl on NBC. We talk about it all with Al Michaels. Rob Lowe is on the show. Parks and Recreation. He's got a new movie himself called I Melt With You. He's a big-time Colts fan. He is hurting. What does he think about what's happened to the Colts this year? Should they keep Peyton? Should they draft Andrew Luck and keep Peyton? Should they keep their coach? That's what you want to ask any old Colts fan, wouldn't you? Rob Lowe is joining this podcast, as is Mike Florio of ProFootballTalk.com. The James Harrison hit that we saw last Thursday night on NFL Network. That came home to roost on Tuesday when the league suspended Harrison for a game. What went on behind that decision? What's next if Harrison hits somebody in week 16 illegally? The Chiefs and the Dolphins fire their head coaches. What's behind that? Who might go there? Where will Jeff Fisher or maybe Bill Cowher or John Gruden wind up? Will they stay in TV? Will they be coaches? We'll ask that of Mike Florio. So it's a Big-time guest list worthy of a Week 15, everybody, here in the National Football League on the Rich Eisen Podcast, presented by Bud Light, that kicks off with an Academy Award winner. We start this show off with a big-time Patriots fan who's got a big-time movie coming out. We bought a zoo coming to a theater near you the Friday before Christmas, December 23rd. He is none other than Matt Damon. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. How you doing? Great, Rich. Great. So uh, are you right, – let's start with the football. Let's go right into it. Uh, you've got a 10-win Patriot team. We've seen this before in the regular season. We've seen Brady light it up. We've seen this team win in the regular season. Are you concerned about moving forward with this team? Sure. I mean, yeah. I think after the 2008 Super Bowl, you you know, there's never a guarantee uh, for anybody. It's it's great. It's why we watch every week. But but I'm nervous going forward. I mean, the defense terrifies me. Uh, (laughs) It terrifies you, huh? I mean, we, we can make any, any quarterback look like a stud. Uh, and then sometimes we just you can shut people down. So, um, so you, ne- you never know. And uh, I know they're, they're playing their hearts out, but it's, it's, it's definitely a white-knuckle experience as a fan. Yeah, uh, they have Tebow this week. Uh, so you're, you're going up against the uh, anointed one in many ways, shapes, and form. Uh, what, what do you think about the way he's playing football right now? He's awesome. I mean, that defense is keeping him in the games, though. That defense is amazing. I don't know how many points he's averaging per game, but that defense has to be way, way under the league average. Um, they're, they're pretty stout. And, uh, and, and look, I mean, how many weeks? Six weeks in a row if you, if you keep him within a touchdown? He's, yeah. He wants the ball at the end of the game. He's like Brady in that way. He really wants the ball. Have you seen, ever seen – I've never seen anything like this, though. I mean, where it, it, the whole place expects it to happen. You know, it, and if he's, if he's within hailing distance, 
the rest of everybody else who's on the other side of the ball suddenly forgets how to play football, it seems. It's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. I don't know. I, I really, I, I feel like uh, when Tom's got the ball at the end of a game or Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees, you expect those guys to do a two-minute drill and win the game. I mean, I literally, if we were in the Super Bowl against the Packers mm-hmm. and we were within or we were leading by, say, four points, I would kick the ball off to them with two minutes left and let them run it back <laughs> just so that we could have the ball at the end of the game. No, it's, the game is set up for, right. uh, for the last guy to win it. And when your quarterback's Tom Brady, I absolutely want the ball in his hands at the end of the game. So you would put Tebow in the ranks of those guys right now with the way he's playing? Uh, well, he's certainly, he's certainly six for six in you know, the last month and a half. Um, but but he, what's interesting about him is he seems to find a different way to do it. He's not the classic kind of pocket passing <laughs> no. guy. He just does it with, with, with will, and, uh, and that's why it's so exciting to watch him. What did you, so, Brady, how many, how many times have you met him? Give me, take me under the hood of your relationship that you may have with Tom Brady, Matt. Uh, I met him first in 03 because uh, he had a, a, a line. He and Lawyer Malloy were in uh, Stuck on You uh, in a very <laughs> right. quick, quick part. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and so I met him there and uh, got to know him a bit. And he's a terrific guy. And, uh, and I've kept in touch with him over the years. And he is a dream come true, right? I mean, Patriot fans are being spoiled for the rest of their lives right Without now. Without a doubt. We'll never see anybody like him again. He's, he's, he's my favorite athlete to watch without a doubt I I just love particularly now in in HD how you can see these guys you can look into their eyes you know you know who wants the ball and who doesn't and it's so cool to be from a place where your quarterback absolutely wants the ball and he's got what like four game-winning touchdowns in the Super Bowl at the end I mean I know you know Eli had one after Tom had his (laughs) yes but Eli, I contend, threw at least three interceptions on that final drive. <laughs> um, Including that almost went off the helmet of his receiver at that point. That was the greatest catch in NFL history, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I, everyone talks about the one the year after with Santonio Holmes and Roethlisberger. That was the best kind of set pass kind of in a Super Bowl, like right. perfect, you know, you know, precision. But the David Tyree catch was just an act of God. I mean, that was crazy. And with Brady also, I mean, this week, it could have been highly uncomfortable with uh, the blow-up that he had on the sideline uh, with his offensive coordinator. And after the game, he basically said, I deserved it. And he could have made that really ugly from his position, and he didn't. I mean, that's another testament to Brady, if you think about it. The guy's just a stud. He just handled it perfectly. And, you know, he's just a very, very intense guy. And I I took my nephew to a game in Miami in uh, 2008. And we went down to the sideline before the game. And I didn't think there was any chance that we were going to get to see Tom before the game because he's just he's locking in at that point. But he came running over right before the kickoff and he'd already worked up a sweat. He had an unbelievable fire in his eyes. And he, my nephew was nine at the time. And he leaned down and looked at him and he said, are you going to be rooting for me today, Troy? <laughs> And Troy couldn't even, he just nodded. Yeah. And, uh, and Tom leaned in and looked at him, and I swear to God, it was like two nine-year-olds talking. Tom looked at him and goes, we're going to kill these guys. <laughs> and, he, and he said it like, <laughs> like, he, like a kid, like he absolutely meant that. His life's goal in that moment was to do whatever he could to win that game. And that, it's just, it's an awesome intensity. And so 
So you expect that to bubble up and, and to flare up at times, and, and uh, it's, he handled it gracefully afterwards. What's your take on Belichick, Matt? I hope that give up the yardage and not the points thing works, you know. I mean, it should have worked really for us in 08. Like, honestly, that Giants thing did feel like an act of God. I mean, it makes me wonder about – I mean, I have friends who are Green Bay fans. Um, my agent, Patrick, is a huge Green yes, Bay fan. Yes, he is. And, uh, and he just wants to take a loss. He just wants to get that really? monkey off his back. Yeah. I mean, well, one thing, look, that nobody's talking about. The Patriots made it so much easier. Nobody's talking about an undefeated season. You are right. right? You are right. So, we are. We're, well, Tebow's also taking a lot of the oxygen out of the national media room right now. But you're yeah. right. you're right. It's sort of like ho hum. Okay, we saw it four years ago. Uh, you, you're, Eighteen you're, and zero can definitely happen. The question is, can nineteen and zero happen? Right. And so they won't really feel any pressure until the Super Bowl. Uh, but there are teams like the Giants coming within three points. Remember, they did that to us in the last game of the regular season. And then eventually beat us. I mean, there are teams that can play with them. The Saints, the Saints almost beat them in you know, the first game of the year. We can score with them, uh, and they can certainly score with us. <laughs> uh, but, look, on any given Sunday, I mean, I have, I, have, I have hope. You know, I mean, obviously we'd have to get through, I mean, Baltimore. I mean, who do you think's the favorite coming out of the AFC? There's no – there isn't one. You know what I mean? There, there just yeah. is not one. It's like every single week it changes. It just changes who's got the momentum, who – you know, you think the minute you think the Patriots, and as you pointed out, Rex Grossman looked, looked like, you know um, – Joe Montana. Joe Montana again. Yeah, that's a perfect example. I mean, he he just lit it up against New England and the Ravens. Uh, we we see them go up and down and usually down against opponents that uh, they need to beat. It's it's anybody's game. And then you're right. Will will Aaron Rodgers get there at eighteen and zero? And if so, who who will he face? But the Saints can have some say. I, I, this is one of the most exciting totally. seasons I've 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 seen. Period. In the NFC, no doubt. I mean, I'm really happy to be in the AFC this year because uh, we're only going to have to play one of those NFC teams. There's a, there's a bunch of them that, mm-hmm. look, uh, that can take a run at the Packers. And, and even if they don't beat them, the, pack, the Packers are going to be beat up by the time they get to the Super Bowl. That will be an interesting game if, if it's Patriots-Packers, you with, uh, with Patrick. Uh, you're talking about Patrick Weitzel. Uh, you, that would be He's intense, but I, I, I can't believe he says that uh, they should take a loss. That, that I don't believe. You don't, I mean, you know, you want to go in with the full Just head of steam. Get, yeah, get history here. You know what I mean? Go for it. You know what I mean? I want him to have all the pressure. I'm all for them going undefeated. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, let's talk uh, about your movie, uh, We Bought a Zoo, coming out. Uh, Cameron Crowe, the director, and um, you uh, play... Uh, um, a widower with two kids who essentially goes and buys a house with a zoo to help heal, help bring the family together and trying to heal himself and his relationship with his kids. Uh, I saw it. You're fantastic in it. It's a great movie. And I'm just wondering, how did you how did you choose this one out of all the ones that you get to to, to participate in, Matt? Well, it was really Cameron. Uh, you know, with what I do, it's it's really all about the director. They have the complete control of the whole thing and so if you can uh back the right horse you're you'll be in pretty good shape and so i always choose my jobs based on the director and uh and this was no different i I really want and i and i love cameron's movies um you know movies like jerry Maguire and almost famous and they just i just I just love the way I feel coming out of a Cameron Crowe movie. Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect way to describe it because I felt like I had just seen a Cameron Crowe movie. You know, like you see movies from other directors and you're like, well, that's a little bit different. But to me, 
I mean, it had everything. It had the the writing. It had the uh, the 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 heart uh, the heartfelt soliloquies. The precocious children. I don't know where he finds <laughs> these kids. You know, the music, all of it. It was pretty much it touched every single Cameron Crowe uh, touchstone I've uh, I've seen in one of his movies. Yeah, definitely, and that's that's what I was hoping when I when I took the job. I mean, ultimately, we. I always tell people, because people in New York, they're not shy about coming up and saying, like, what the hell were you thinking with that movie? <laughs> I, I, I always tell people, like, we don't get to see the movie before we make it. You right. know? It's always an educated guess. And so, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm glad it paid off with Cameron. Did he, I, I heard that he, he played music, like he blasted music during scenes or right before scenes to set the mood, sort of like what a, what a football coach might do for, for an intense practice. Is that true? Yeah, I, and I'd never seen that before, uh, and it really works because there's something about music. It can just kind of g- get you out of that logical brain and, and just and just kind of get you emotional, you know. And uh, I'm sure that's why football coaches use it. Yeah. Um, but uh, but with but with Cameron, he'd do it during takes, which is not a way to kind of. Uh, uh, you make friends with your sound man. Um, <laughs> you, you know they tend to not like that, but he's he he really he does it pretty judiciously and and tries not to do it while you're talking. Um, but during these kind of moments where you're looking and and uh, you know he he would just he would just put this music on. It was really great. And uh, you were in uh, several scenes, obviously with animals. Uh, one in particular, you are face to face with this monstrous bear, this grizzly. Were you really? doing that or 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 is there some cgi magic going on here matt they did a split screen for the scene where i'm literally face to face with it they did a a split screen and then uh there was a part where it walked past the car that i was sitting in and and i really was that close to it then and my one concern was that it was just going to accidentally put its head through the window and and freak out but um but everything went everything went great. I mean, I, I'd never been that close to a grizzly bear before. I mean, have you ever been close to a grizzly bear? Um, does Warren Sapp count? <laughs> I, I would have thought I would have said yes beforehand, but but now that I've actually been yeah. next to a real grizzly bear, right? Um, my my one story about grizzly bears before this was my father had gone on a fishing trip 25 years ago mm-hmm. in Alaska with a couple of friends, and this guide who was taking him had a, uh, a 44 Magnum with him uh, in a holster. And my dad looked down and noticed that the sight was filed off. And he said to the guy, is that, is that for uh, grizzly bears? And the guy said, yeah, 44 Magnum. <laughs> and he goes, well, let me ask you, why'd you file the sight off? And the guy goes, well, that's so after I shoot the grizzly bear, it doesn't hurt so much when he shoves the gun up my ass. <laughs> Um, and my dad was like, so it won't do anything. Guys like nothing at all. It's like, I I have it because it's the loudest gun and hopefully it'll, it'll make the bear want to turn around and go the other way. I'm glad you got through it unscathed. They're pretty impressive. Yeah. I'm glad you got through it unscathed because I'm watching that. I'm like, oh my God, did he really just do that? Because, um, you know, you got kids, you got a career, you got all that in front of you here, you know? Um, I do. Before before I let you go, moving forward, um, you, what, uh, what, what do we see you in next? I know you've got... Liberace, you're in the next Soderbergh oeuvre. Um, you've got that going on, right? Are you shooting that now, or are you getting set to shoot that? We're going to shoot that in the summer. Okay. In the summer, so I'm not sure exactly when it'll come out. It's on HBO, that one. Okay, the, the Liberace um, movie. And, and uh, Michael Douglas plays Liberace in this thing, right? He does, he does. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. It's a great script, and uh, we've been trying to make it for a few years now, so it's finally coming together. And has... has, has 
have you ever worked with Michael Douglas? Is that a, is that a, a first one for you? Uh, no, I, I know him through Stephen, and because uh, he's worked with Stephen a bunch, and I've uh, uh, you know hung out with him over the years. Catherine was obviously in Ocean's Twelve, yes. and so Michael was there with us the whole time all over Europe, and so so I know him. But uh, but I, but this is a this is a big chance to work with him and also to work with him on this because it's a big, big role for him. So uh, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. Yeah, that's great. And Soderbergh, I don't know if you know, uh, he is the official sports media critic of this podcast. He came on last January and he's going to do it again. Where, oh, really? Yes, where he, he, he gives every grade to ESPN and us and NBC and CBS. And, you know, he calls himself the bituation. That's what he called himself. <laughs> that's great. All right, I, I'm going to get a copy of that. Yeah, you should do that. You should do that. And, and um, maybe that's what he'll do in his retirement. Maybe that's what he'll, uh, he'll end up doing. I'm just hoping he doesn't retire. I know. I know. It's, He's I, my meal ticket. <laughs> fantastic. All right, so uh, Patriots, do you feel it in your heart? What do, you, or, or, do, you see, do you see them winning the AFC? Last question for you. I, I hope so. I can, I can definitely see it. I mean, I'm, I've been an, a big fan of theirs my whole life, and, and Tom can score with anybody, and, that, and Gronkowski, Welker, those guys. Yeah, he's unbelievable. I've never, unbelievable. I mean, I know, I know, you know, I even said it on the air the other day that he's one of the best I've ever seen, and, and uh, Dion goes, well, hold on a minute. There's Tony Gonzalez, but I, he is, he's a monster. He's great. He's great, and Hernandez is no slouch either. I mean, he's terrific too. So we we got a we got a lot of weapons, and and uh, you know, it's just a question of what happens with our with our defense. You know, I sure wish Rodney Harrison was still there. <laughs> Brewski, Seymour, all Brewski those guys. And, I yeah, know. all those guys. Vrabel. I mean, it, that was those guys were they were playmakers, and they were really uh, special guys. And uh, you know, so some of these young guys are just going to have to step up. Yeah, I know. Not but we can. I feel like we can play with anybody. I agree with you. Well, certainly if you've got Brady back there, but not to sound like Patino, not to sound like Patino, but Brewski's not walking through that door. You know what I mean? It's 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 the it's the defense that you got, and uh, it'll be very interesting. It's one of the more fascinating stories to see play out here. Well, wish us luck. No, I wish you yeah, good luck. <laughs> hey, Matt, listen, thanks for doing this. I know you're a busy man. Uh, we bought a zoo coming out December 23rd. Like I told you, it is. It's awesome. It's great stuff. I've never seen a zookeeper quite like Scarlett Johansson. It's another Me incredible neither. aspect. <laughs> and I look forward to seeing more out of you, Matt. Great. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate you, it. You bet. That's none other than Matt Damon here on the Rich Eisen Podcast presented by Bud Light. Fresh off the call of the Giants' exhilarating win over the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football in America on NBC, getting set for the Ravens at the San Diego Chargers. Thrilled to have back on the podcast one of the all-time best, Al Michaels. Good to see you. Good to see you, Rich. So let's talk about that Giants-Cowboys game. It just seems the Giants can't win in the second half of the season unless their backs are against the wall and they've got a banana peel on the brink. It just It's remarkable. It just seems that they play their best football in that aspect. And in the fourth quarter, down 12 is when they started turning it on. That was remarkable. And they had to do it, too, because otherwise, when you think about where they are right now, they, they win the game, so now they control their path to the playoffs. They have three games left. One is a road game, but that is in their stadium, so they have no more trips. They have Washington, the Jets in their stadium, right. and then Dallas again. So here they are in a um, in a position where they can control uh, winning the NFC East. Had they lost that game, that would have been five losses in a row. 
that would have been a sub-500 record. Dallas would have been up by two. Dallas would have had uh, a pretty easy path to the playoffs, and the Giants' chances of getting a wild card would have been minimal. And, uh, you know, with the consternation in New York and all of that, there would have been all kinds of speculation about what kind of changes needed to be made or would be made. So that's all gone. And it's amazing that it goes away because of that great rally at the end. And then that rally comes on top of the fact that Mario Manningham dropped an easy touchdown pass in the end zone. So now you're thinking, oh, no, you're going to lose the game. And then the Cowboys have a chance maybe to cement the game if Miles Austin comes up with the pass from Romo, whether it's Romo overthrowing or, as Austin said later, uh, losing it in the lights. I don't know. But that game had so many twists and turns. And, and again, it just speaks to the fact that uh, the NFL is the greatest uh, the greatest drama going right now. It and is. It's right. the only – I mean, in, in a time when we're talking about reality television, reality television has become phony television now. It's all scripted. It's all nonsensical. Uh, reality TV is uh, is is a bunch of amateur actors, in effect, trying to make fools of themselves. And the only reality television out there right now is the National Football League and sports. Right, and and it's just every week there is a new narrative on a weekly basis, and then there are the overarching narratives that go from beginning to end that the Packers started on Sunday night football's Thursday night kickoff of the season against the Saints. And the other one is, is in my estimation, other than the Packers, can they stay undefeated? Will they repeat? The other one is, how is Tim Tebow going to finish up? To me, that is one of the most incredible storylines that nobody expected to develop for the long term mm-hmm. this year. And I'd love to know what your thoughts are on that situation. I, I think it's, uh, it's something that we haven't seen before. I mean, we've, we've seen guys come out of nowhere and maybe lead their teams to improbable wins over a period of time, as Tebow was doing. But to do it in such a dramatic fashion, to do it uh, when so many people thought that he was not a National Football League quarterback, and probably still do, uh, when he's referred to as a fullback in quarterback's clothing, uh, you have the whole religious aspect here with Tebowing and all of the rest, and some people feel he's very insincere, and some people think that they don't want to be uh, uh, burdened with having to watch or the T-bowing and all of that. So it's in a way um, he has been over the past couple of years and even going back to college, a, a fairly polarizing figure. And, um, and and a lot's been written about it. You, I mean, the, the thing about T-bow is that you can write about 15 different things in regard to this. But I mean, just uh, to boil it down to what's happening in a football sense, this team, which wasn't looking very good, which replaces Kyle Orton with Tebow and still doesn't look particularly good for uh, big segments and portions of games. Right. Somehow, some way, everything seems to, to come to this, this confluence where against Chicago last week, how are you going to win the game? You're down 10 to nothing. And, of course, a lot of thanks can be given to Marion Barber. For two plays, one by not going out of bounds and the other with a fumble, but it all it all works. And then the next thing you know, you got a fifty-nine yard field goal and I think a fifty-two yard field goal. So it, everything yeah. worked. Everything worked, and it's but it's great because that's why we you know we love this. I mean, sooner or later this thing ends, but in the meantime, it's a fun ride. Now, one of the neat aspects of your your gig um, is of, of the many is you're the last word on on the day. You and Chris and Fred Gadelli and uh, Eskoff, right? True. True. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you tell the story of the last. You, you put the exclamation point at the end of the day. 
So it's more than just the game that you're calling. You're talking about a lot of stuff that's going on during the day. And, you know, fortunately for you, you got a game to call and you don't have to tap dance. There's sometimes you do have to talk about other things. going. No rain delay. Right. Right, Exactly. Right. Uh So in that aspect of it, because I'm sitting on the set getting ready to do NFL game day highlights with Dion and Mariucci. And sometimes the game's playing off on the side. You're getting ready to call a big game like Dallas and the Giants and that craziness is going on with Tebow at the same time. How do you balance those things in your job, Al? Well, I, I've learned, uh, I guess, uh, multitasking is the uh, the operative phrase over the last uh, 15 years. So I was actually on the set of Football Night in America at, at 7 o'clock Eastern time, and, and we have uh, the ability to watch all of the other games coming down to the end, including San Francisco against Arizona. So they have all of these. They have all these TV sets. Where there they, well, the they have they have a television set, and then right. you know they they split the screen. They can split it, I think, six or seven or eight ways. So I'm watching this as as this is developing, and I can see Prater lining up for. I can't tell how long the field goal is. Right. The next thing I know. There's a cutaway of Elway, and you see the crowd going crazy. So you know that the, he has made it. It <laughs> goes into overtime. The same way, right? You know, but every week in the NFL, I mean, there's so much to um, to talk about and to think about. I was in the room the other day, and I have a Sunday ticket on my uh, on my iPod, and so I'm watching um, the game between the Saints and the Titans came down. To the very end, as did the game between the Lions and the Vikings. And the Bengals and the Texans. And the Bengals and the Texans were actually a little bit uh, apart from that in terms of time. Right. But the game in Tennessee and the game in Detroit uh, ended simultaneously. So they had a split screen, split screen it. And I'm, wow, which, which one am I supposed to look at here? Right. And it was, so you have that. You have all of these things going on. The Giants Dallas game, of course. You've got Tebow in Denver. Uh, you've got Green Bay remaining undefeated. You got the Jets looking like they're on a roll right now. So, the great thing about the NFL is that uh, the storylines really are never ending, multiple every week. And this week, the the storyline is it's it's sort of like a Mad Lib from back in the day with the Chargers. It just changed the dates pretty much with Norv Turner, where they slip up early on this year. They started great. Middle of the season is when they slipped up. They've got a big hole with the Ravens coming in. The Ravens win, they're in. And so this is a big game, obviously, for both teams. How do you see this on Sunday night with you and uh, you and Chris? Well, for the Ravens, as you say, win and you're in. But more importantly for the Ravens, with so many teams right now at 10-3 and three and they're battling Pittsburgh, and they have the advantage having defeated them twice. So if they wind up tied, they will win the division. But the Ravens are in a position right now where they could be as high as number one or as low as number five or six. Mm-hmm. And we all know that if you're number one, the road to the Super Bowl goes through your stadium. If you're number six, you don't get the week off and you have to win three road games. Now that it can't be done. Pittsburgh did it in 05 and, and Green Bay did it last year, but you don't want to have to go in that direction. So for Baltimore, every game is big in that regard. The Chargers need a lot of help though. I mean, the Chargers dug themselves a gigantic hole and what really hurt the Chargers was Denver coming from behind to beat Chicago last <laughs> week? Because thing. otherwise, now they're a game behind. Right. They still have a game against Oakland. Oakland's beaten them uh, prior to that. Um, San Diego's road is pretty tough right now because, I mean, again, they dug this hole. They're playing well right now, but they have Baltimore at home, no easy pickings. At Detroit, no easy pickings. Mm-hmm. And then at Oakland. So they're done at home. After this, and, and the wild card doesn't figure to come out of uh, of that division. No doubt. It's gonna, one team's going to win it, and Denver really has the upper hand 
But Denver has New England this week, and then you don't know what's going to happen after that. I think they end against They've Kansas got, they, City. They have, they're at Buffalo. They're in western at New Buffalo, York where you know right. anything goes. But the Bills have totally fallen and can't get up at this point. They can, right. They, exactly. They don't look like any – you, you take a look at a team like the Bills and you say that team beat New England earlier this year. And you're like, how in the world did that happen? I know Fred Jackson was healthy, but it's that situation. You look at the Rams. Beat, that team beat New Orleans. They beat New year. Orleans. They beat New Orleans. And after it, after New Orleans had, had rung up 62 on, on Indianapolis. And that's before. the loss that could cost New Orleans a bye week because right now they're one behind the 49ers and the conference record. That's a That one really well, that could hurt. sting. And, that and, could leave a mark. Well, we did the Saints a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking to uh, Sean Payton about that. He said, worst job of coaching I've ever done. He said not. He said it wasn't necessarily the coaching job that was done by by us on on Sunday on the day. He said it was Wednesday because they were coming off the Indy win. They're going to play a team that doesn't look like it can win a game in St. Louis. And I guess there was that moment in time where you try to say to yourself, you know, hey, look, it's a game. Anybody can win the game. But how do how do you really get up to go to St. Louis after you look so good? And sure enough. Uh, you know, St. Louis got got started and put a lot of pressure on Drew Brees, and and they fly back from there and go, whoa, what what happened? Missed opportunity. But in this league, they're, they're, every team has those games where you look back and you say, how, how in the world did this happen? I mean, New England might look back at the end and say they had the big lead at Buffalo, and they let that one get away. Right. How'd that happen? I know uh, they they will definitely be. Although they could still be, as you pointed out, the the one seed that there's four teams that are at ten and three right now uh, in the AFC heading into the final three games, and then um, the one team, however, that doesn't have those games are, are Green Bay, and the games that they had that were really close was the one that you called Week One and the one that just happened against the Giants mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and they are just it just seems to me. No one's going to beat him in the regular season. I don't think. I think it's sixteen and zero, and maybe it's because we saw it four years ago. We really not. We're not talking about it as much, but th- I think for sure they're sixteen and zero this year. What I really like about what's happening in Green Bay is the fact that they're embracing this. Uh, in New England, when in oh seven, um, they were deflecting it mm-hmm. on every level, and that's you know Belichick style, and they want they don't want to talk about. Last week, and they don't want to talk about next week. And I understand that. And that's Bill. And, you know, Bill's been been phenomenally successful. So they weren't going in that direction. Um, In Indianapolis, they made a big deal of it not being a big deal. And it turned out to be a mess. Total mess. A mess. I mean, they had a chance to do it. And it upset Peyton Manning. Uh, I mean, you're not going to have that many opportunities to make that sort of history. How many guys on this 0-13 team right now? Do you think would say I w- that right yeah. now, especially right now that they're zero thirteen, that of they course. had a chance to do that? Of course, yeah. You know, I mean, right? And that's, in and that's what I that. like about Green Bay because you know they can't. It, it's to the point, and maybe Green Bay has also learned from watching New England and certainly watching the Colts a couple of years ago and not making a big deal of it. So I love the way. They're embracing it. I mean, it's big. Charles Woodson, I think, said something about it. Mike McCarthy doesn't avoid uh, talking about it. That's uh, that organization has become uh, incredibly solid. Uh, I think Ted Thompson's done a fantastic job uh, as the GM. Very low key guy. Mark Murphy as well, uh, running the team. You know, a publicly owned team. And you know, it's a funny thing where everybody was talking about a few years ago. 
can you find me the next Mike Tomlin? And that's uh, what Baltimore pretty much did when they went out and they, they found John Harbaugh, who's a great coach as well. I think John's one of the, the very best in the league. And in a way, you know, maybe somebody's going to go out and say right now, can you find me the next Mike McCarthy? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's he's a guy who doesn't uh, he he doesn't get a lot of the attention, but uh, having covered a number of his games and and watched the way he's gone about his business right now, boy, I tell you what, he's as squared away as any coach in the league. And if if you think about it, um, where patience is the virtue, in two thousand nine, here here the Packers were right coming off of the first season without Favre mm-hmm. and Rodgers went 6 and 10 and people might be wondering what what they what they did there right, right? uh Sean Payton who was also up for that job wanted it sure. wanted it mm-hmm. they went with McCarthy instead Payton just wins the Super Bowl right right in 2009 and everyone's wondering what are the Packers doing long term do they really know what they're doing now here we are sitting yeah. here <laughs> At the end of 2011, yeah. they're the gold standard in the NFC, right? And they are. Hands and, down. And, and even if they do go undefeated this year and, and and they run the table and they win the Lombardi in Indianapolis on February the 5th, I mean, I'll, I'll look back upon last year and what they did and say, you know, that's that's about as amazing as anything I've seen. They lost oh, so many key guys uh, all the way down the road. And they had to win. They had to run the table at the end. They had to win the, the last two regular season games. And then win four postseason games. All of the the, the postseason games, well, three of them on the road, one at a neutral site, obviously. But um, I thought that was spectacular. Yeah, a year did. ago you were in New England calling Matt Flynn uh, sure. against against uh, the Patriots, and they lost that. That's their last loss. That was their right. last, and, and they loss. and they went right to the end too with a a backup quarterback. Don Nair won it. In, oh, that was that was a heck of a that game. That was a great game. Dan Connolly too with the, oh, the, with the, the great return. run, right? <laughs> carrying the football like it was a baby. I mean, it's just the, it's the quintessential call where you just yeah. you just can't yeah. expect it, and yeah. and you just have to go with it right there. That was unbelievable as he's as he's running down the field. It's a YouTube classic because I mean the lineman not used to carrying the football, just the way he was carrying the football, kind of right. sideways. It was beautiful. Right. What's your Week 16 matchup as it currently stands right now? Well, Week 16, Christmas night. Christmas night. Okay, so you got the Bears. That's right. You got the Bears. Green Bay Bay probably going for a 15th consecutive win. Right. And there's no flex there. There's nothing else to flex. Everything's played the day before. Everything's played the day before. Right. And uh, we have the game, and then I think the Monday night game might be— Monday night's uh, Atlanta and New Orleans. Right, Saints. Uh, We're need right, that. right, right, right. So yeah, that's that's week sixteen. And week seventeen, as always, is whatever uh, is a game the most necessary game on the schedule, basically, right? It's, it's sort normally of, yeah. a win and in. You, you're looking for the the win and in well, scenario. You're, you're right? looking the, the the ultimate would be win in lose out, which is how we wound up doing St. Louis and Seattle last right. year, which was not a particularly attractive matchup, except for the fact that the winner got to go to the playoffs and the loser didn't. And Seattle won the game, and they did get in, and then all of a sudden they shocked yes, they the Saints, did. and they played pretty well for a while against Chicago the following week. So you don't know what's going to happen. I don't see too many of those happening the following the last week, except Dallas and, and the, the Giants. Giants and right. and, and again, too. it's not a case of people some sometimes think, well, NBC goes in and says, we want this game. No, it doesn't work that way. The league has its partners, and they look around, and you know clearly you know Dallas – and the Giants is a game that Fox is not going to want to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, you, but that last day, you've got Detroit going to Green Bay for maybe an undefeated season. Right. 
uh, Giants, Dallas, of course. The Jets may be trying to get into the playoffs against Miami. Miami. The problem with doing those games is that the Jets could be in or out by the end of the afternoon. Right. So we never know. Now, the the AFC West is very interesting, too, depending on what happens here, because you're going to get San Diego at Oakland, and Kansas City goes to Denver. So I'm not sure what you're going to have in terms of, you know, if something happens in the afternoon, is there something around at night? But that's that's right. the uh, that's the probably the hardest division right now to figure out who's in, who's out. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you imagine if Kyle Orton goes to Denver to try and stick it? <laughs> well, in the Broncos, if, if, it's if, entirely if, yeah. possible if he's healthy enough, right. and because obviously things have completely changed with Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I I think the Giants winning that game last Sunday night that makes. I would circle that one as your most likely Week 17 game because I think it's a winner of that could be. It depends on how the tie break goes. If the Cowboys win, yeah. would they have a better whatever the third tiebreaker is? I mean, you got to get out the slide rule and figure well, that thing out. We, we would not throw that game away. Let's put it that not. way. But the league has again. You, know, the, you have your other television of partners. Not. You I got a bunch that. of stuff, and then. You know, your Fox would scream bloody murder by saying NBC would get both giant Dallas games. games. I know, right. But so, I mean, I you know, I don't know what happens. I mean, course. that's all behind closed door stuff. Right, so. that goes up. We'll the, goes up the flow chart there. We we just we just we, just, we Tebow is what we do in but, our. Well, speaking <laughs> of which, I I mean, you, what NBC does get though is the first choice of a playoff game, correct? On the wild card, no, that's not the case. Not to my. Knowledge. I thought that no. I, I thought that that no. was the case. That uh, no, I, I'll tell you what, because it looks like Tebow's getting a playoff game with the we, loser of the AFC North right. at him. Well, what you have is, I mean, look, there were there were four wild card games. NBC does Saturday day and night, mm-hmm. and CBS does AFC the next day, and and, and uh, Fox. Fox does NFC. So you mm-hmm. get four games. So and each day is going to be one AFC, one NFC. So right now, what are the possibilities? I mean, in the AFC, you tell me. I mean, it could be anything. And what it looks like to me is Tebow hosting the loser of the AFC North. Well, it's that's gonna, what it looks like it, to me. It right looks now. to me like if you had to pick the host cities, the winner of the AFC West will host because everybody else is ten and three. Right. So you're gonna you're gonna wind up having a game in in Denver, in Oakland, or in San Diego. Most likely, right. that's one AFC game. Right. The other AFC game, you tell me where it is. I mean, no, no one knows. Houston is number one right now. I think Baltimore is number two. Does that game wind up in New England? Possibly. Right. I mean, so much can happen between now and and then, obviously. And in the NFC, you're going to probably have the NFC East mm-hmm. winner. New York or Dallas. No bye week hosting, for the NFC East winner for sure. Hosting a game. Well, Green, so. Bay, Green Bay is going to be out. Right. And San Francisco gets the banged up James Harrisonless Steelers, San Francisco, for Monday night this right. week. Right. Right. And then uh, San Francisco plays the rest of their division, not named Arizona. So right. th- th- it, it looks like they could they could get that bye week. So if the, right. I'm, I'm just I'm just supposing the way things look right Which now. Which puts the other game change. in New Orleans, right? So New Orleans or, or Atlanta. It would be New Orleans against. Uh, it could be New Orleans, Atlanta. It could be New Orleans, Detroit. It, it could, could be. be New Orleans, Dallas. I mean, these are all feasible. It's possible uh, that both New York uh, and Dallas gets in. It's it's entirely possible. Well, you mean one is a wild card? I mean, it's possible. Ooh, yeah, because but, you, right now you got two eight and five teams in front of seven and six Dallas. You do, but remember, one of those teams is going to have another loss. They have to. Right. No, so, I know. Yeah. Dallas could be nine and seven. Right. 
It's possible. A nine and it seven is. Dallas Cowboy wildcard team. This is we this need to go exciting. back to school, you know. I know. <laughs> I don't ever want to do that. We by need the to way. go back and study advanced trigonometry. It's, I don't know how they these guys go into the league office and figure this stuff out, but they don't know either. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Elias Sports Bureau that knows all. Trust right, me on this. Right, right. So, uh, Mr. Steve Hurd would understand all of this better than anybody. How much? Kenny Hurd. How much do you enjoy this, though, Al? I mean, you've been doing this for for quite some time I haven't uh what what is it what is it like for you to be in there in the fourth quarter with Eli Manning making a comeback you know the whole country's watching you got a Rolls Royce sitting next to you with all his gajillion Emmy awards I mean what is it like for you to be in the position that you're in I get some Rolls Royces down in the truck yes too, you do which is, I understand that I mean too. this is every, everybody always wants to say I work with the best crew but look I've been on network television for 36 years and I've done the NFL primary game for 26 of them and I've worked with a lot of people in the business and th- this this gang is is uh second to none ever um so th- p- part of it is that you know I'm working with the greatest people uh the whole vibe around our our show is terrific it's the number one show on on primetime television it's great you I, you know I think about as a kid I mean I'm dreaming about broadcasting sports for a living and then you get to uh you know, this point in your career, and 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 this is the uh, the gig that you have. So, I mean, I didn't even dream about this stuff. I dreamt I dreamt about things like the World Series when I was a kid, and I've got I've got to do eight of them, uh, the Olympics, and I've done six of them. But I never I dreamed about football, but never you know the Super Bowl didn't even exist when I was a kid. So you weren't dreaming about doing a Super Bowl, right? And then to think that they would have this you know package, and you I did Monday night for twenty years, and then Sunday would become the number one package, and then to have that for six years, it's fantastic. And, you know, you, once in a while you just have to sit back and go, whoa, appreciate this. And it's funny, too, because I talked to uh, a lot of the veteran players, you know, Brady and Peyton Manning and all of that, and they get to a certain age. And, you know, as they're working their way to where they have come or have gotten to, there's so much going on that you can't really sit back and – and, and and appreciate where you are and absorb it. But I talk to a lot of these guys now that get into their, you know, early to mid-30s and have had tremendous success, and there is that part of them where you just want to sit back for a second and go, whoa, this is pretty good. Right. Because you feel very blessed and very, very lucky, and I know they do too. And I found that, you know, as, as the athletes get a little bit old, when you're a 26 or 27-year-old guy and you're, you know, fighting your way up, and even though you might be a star – there can't be an appreciation of it. As you get older, you realize, you know what? I better savor this moment. Right. These, these don't come along too often. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of the attitude I take. And what number Super Bowl is this going to be for you? Eight. Eight. Equaling the eight, eight World, World Series. Series. Yeah. Wow. A and symmetry. I'll <laughs> tell you, though, I mean, you've got – there's lots more football to be played, I understand. But there's a possibility of a very special occurrence at that Super Bowl this year. I mean, we have uh, obviously Fox had an opportunity yep. to maybe show that mm-hmm. um, a couple of years ago in 2007. I, I, I firmly believe it. And even though I know the saints are very good, I, I, I think you're going to get an 18 and O team in there. I just really firmly believe it might get them in there. And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, that becomes the game itself. And you, you know, you want the game to be great. I've done the seven Super Bowls I've done. Three of them have gone right down to the end. I had, Scott Norwood missing the field goal, mm. Bills Giants in ninety, had Mike Jones tackling Kevin Dyson at the one yard line, right. St. Louis Tennessee. Otherwise, that game would have gone to overtime at Atlanta in ninety nine, 
and then Arizona Pittsburgh, which I think top to bottom, I would I would rank that as the most exciting Super Bowl ever. <laughs> right. With you know two. Two plays that'll live forever: Harrison's interception return and Holmes's catch, and and then Holmes's catch coming at the end of Roethlisberger leading them on that long drive, and converting third downs. So I, you know, Sports Illustrated, I think, on the cover of the following week said the best Super Bowl ever, and I wouldn't dispute that. And I think the NFL Network even did a poll where that wound up as the um, as the number one uh, Super Bowl. So. Anything close to that, I'll be happy with. And then thank goodness we work in a sport in a league where a team like Arizona could be part of that. You know what I'm saying? Like It, it, it was where, tremendous. It, where regional <laughs> aspects don't matter. I mean, I don't mean to brag, but, you know, it doesn't matter who's in it. You know, it doesn't matter it who's doesn't. in it. I'll, you know, because Dick Ebersole, my, my longtime boss and, and uh, you know, in, 0, in 0, uh, 08, when, when Arizona gets to the Super Bowl and they beat Philadelphia, and uh, Dick's on the phone, and he's going, oh, like that. And mm-hmm. his head, instead of Philadelphia against Pittsburgh, I said, Dick, Dick, stop. It's the Super Bowl. Can you imagine anybody in the country going, hey, Zelda, you know, <laughs> it's Arizona. It's not Philadelphia. We're not watching this today. Right. I, just, I said, stop it. Nobody's and then sure that, enough, right? you know, the game is over. It's the best Super Bowl ever played, and it was the highest. Uh, uh, it, was, it was the biggest audience to ever watch a television show. <laughs> so it's real simple. <laughs> until until maybe you've got 18 and 0 versus Tebow. Right. The, I think television sets would explode. <laughs> Good luck with that. Right. Al, thanks for coming on. Hey, Rich. Always you're, a pleasure. You're the best. That's Take Al it, Michaels here in person on the Rich Eisen Podcast. Thrilled to have back on the Rich Eisen Podcast best-selling author. Stories I Only Tell My Friends is a must-read. Parks and Recreation on NBC is a must-watch. And you should go see his new movie, I Melt With You, which is in the theater near you. Thrilled to have back on the program, Rob Lowe. How are you, Rob? I'm great. Good to be back with you. I am very fired up to have you back on. I sort of don't know where to start with you. <laughs> Because uh, with with the National Football League right now, there's a lot of heartache for you, uh, Rob. I, I, I need to listen. My fantasy football season <laughs> yes. comes down. Marshawn Lynch needs 20 points to to beat me. Right. He gets 21. Not 23. Not eight to give me a victory. Twenty-one point. I hate. I decided. I I hate fantasy football. (laughs) At least my son is the one who beat me in the first round of the playoffs. But it's going to give me gray hair. And you know, in my business, I can't afford gray hair. Yes, of course. Uh, But uh, the first half looked good, though. Marshawn fumbled the ball. He he. he, It looked like he he might he might come up short uh, for your son. I think that the Skittles product placement thing was working against him. Yes. And and yet he's an animal and you can't keep a good man down. No, certainly when there's a rainbow of fruit flavors involved, Rob. No. You can't stop that. Nope, you cannot. You, and, and, and listen, the whole year has started off, you know, with my my beloved Colts <laughs> and then just it's been one thing after another. Now, uh, where do you stand? There's so many different places to go with the Colts. Let's start with the Peyton Manning conundrum. It's been a rich, 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 rich. Yeah. Rich, come on now. Yeah. There aren't many places to go with the Colts. <laughs> well, there, there are, there's one place to go okay. with the Colts. And that is? You draft Andrew Luck. Okay. And and you you look at what they did so well in Green Bay. Period. That's the end of the. I don't get it. That's the end of the beginning, middle, and end of the conversation. Well, the issue is 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 will you know 
will two quarterbacks, Peyton Manning coming back from his neck injury and obviously needing to get on the field and prove that he still plays at a high level, even though we all expect that, he's still a human being, right? And then there is Andrew Luck, who is as ready-made a college quarterback to go to the next level, as many people say, since Peyton Manning. And whether those two can coexist and salary cap that would that would uh, obviously you know he doesn't cost as much as a rookie quarterback has in the past years but th- those are the issues i guess that are involved in that but look Pey- peyton is um, uh, he's my favorite athlete in the world I, lo- I i love watching him he's one of the great gentlemen as as you know and hilarious and i just hope he doesn't become an actor because I need all the jobs I can get. <laughs> That's right. Um, so if anybody can coexist with anybody, it's it's Peyton. And then, you know, when you look with, with Jim Irsay, who's a friend who owns the Colts, he's a smart guy. He's always opened up the wallet and done the right thing by that organization. So I, I, I think I think, I think it, it's good. I, t- I, di- I tell you, I did wake up and see the ticker that two coaches were let go today and that one of them was not Jim Caldwell. was stunning. <laughs> That's what I meant by where do we go with the Colts at the top well, because okay. it's the Manning thing and then then and then do you do you hang the fact that they haven't won a single game without Manning? I mean, we always know that it would be tough for the Colts without Peyton Manning, but not winless through fourteen games well, not potentially. Not winless, but looking you know, and I love everybody to death. Full disclosure, but looking awful. And look, I, I don't know Jim Caldwell. I'm sure he's a really nice guy, um, but. I got to tell you, I started having suspicions at the Super Bowl at the end of the second half when he called three straight run plays with Peyton Manning to give the ball back to the Saints. And that's how long ago I started going, hmm, interesting. Right. And I just, I just don't get it. I just, I just don't get it at all. I don't understand what, what the patience is about. I really don't. But, but you know what? Bill Polian's really smart. He's got to have something up his sleeve. Has to. Has to. Well, he's got the first overall pick up his sleeve, and they're they they uh they're going to clinch that thing probably this definitely this weekend. They're going to clinch that thing, and they're going to be first on the clock, and that's the end of that. And and we will see basically uh, what his decision is going to be, and we're going to talk about it all at the combine. You again say let you you say Jim Irsay is a friend. I know that you guys follow each other on Twitter also. Yep. Uh, he pulls you aside and he <laughs> says, "Rob, your thoughts." You say what? I told him. I told him last year that I was not a gigantic Jim Caldwell fan, to be honest. <laughs> this has been going up for a while then. No, no, I'm telling you, I didn't. I, right. I did, that Super Bowl thing freaked me out. Okay. You know, I had the, the pleasure to meet Sean Payton. I'm hosting the Country Music Television Awards, FYI, tonight. Okay. And uh, Mr. Sean Payton is one of um, uh, our guests. And we shot it last week, and I, I told him my Super Bowl thing. And he said, you know what? We noticed it on the sidelines, too. And when we saw them with a guy like Peyton, three straight run conservative plays, we knew these guys had a little bit of the yips. Hmm. Interesting, right? It's fascinating. Then he went on sides, and then the whole thing changed to start the second half. Yeah, but I think the on sides was set up right. by them going, wow, these guys aren't quite as confident as everybody would have thought they would have been. Mm. Interesting. So what was it like meeting Sean Payton, the guy who denied you the ring? He's my, like? he's my he's so great. A great guy and and that's the greatest coaching job that I've ever seen in my lifetime in in a Super Bowl. Right. 
I mean, I, I think it right. It's got to go down in history as the greatest play call ever. Well, right? nobody's. I don't think we'll ever see an onside kick to start uh, a second half again. I mean, Bill Cowher technically did it. He didn't technically do did it. He did it in the '90s when uh, when uh, uh, Neil O'Donnell was throwing it all over the lot to uh, <laughs> to the Dallas Cowboys, and he knew he had his hands full. But Sean Payton doing it in a game that was so tight, that was uh, – I don't think we'll ever see that again. I really don't. No, he's, he's, he's really dynamic, really exciting. That team's exciting. And so I've sort of adapt, adopted them now in lieu of, in lieu of my Colts. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm Mr. Who Dad, I guess. Okay. I'm sure they'll accept it. I'm yep. sure they'll accept it. You know, uh, New Orleans is a very accepting city and accepting people. Great city. You know, I, I would suggest, though, uh, uh, Green Bay would be a good choice. How great. That's amazing to watch. It's just amazing to watch. Yeah. It's. It, I mean, what, what can you say? You can't. It's. It's. It is. It is indescribable the way Aaron Rodgers is playing football. You know, and right I think now. I think they've also gotten really fortunate that um, a that they play in Green Bay, where where you know they don't. It's not a huge media market, so they don't have to have the pressure every five seconds of the winless season, like mm-hmm. like you have in you know in some of the other markets, and also with Tebow going on. Everybody's sort of focusing on that, and so they're just not having the kind of pressure other teams have had. I don't think you're right. You're right. I mean, there's. It's like, oh, okay, they're uh, they're thirteen and zero, and they're taking on a, a Chiefs team that just canned their coach this week, <laughs> right. and and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, they'll be fourteen and zero, and maybe it's because we've seen, we saw the Patriots do the sixteen and zero thing yep. uh, four years ago that we're not we're not all, all out of breath about it. And right we've, now. we've gotten jaded in our in our watching could great be. football every week. It could be. What do you think of Tebow? He's the best thing to happen to the league in years. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that's another one where I go, I don't, I don't get the controversy. It seems right. he's the best thing that's happened to this league in forever. I mean, he has, he has, when you have op-ed pieces in non-sports-related media. The New York Times. It's just, I mean, it's the best thing that ever happened. It's great. It's, he's, he's great. I mean, is this funny watching John Elway watch him? That's my favorite thing. Because <laughs> I'm... I'm a student of the way people react, right? Sure. That's why I make my living. Right. So watching Elway watch him, and I could be completely wrong, but it, I think it's probably like what I looked like the first time I watched the Kardashians. <laughs> That's where, fantastic. Where, where you kind of go, what, what am I seeing here? There's, I don't get any discernible talent, and and yet things keep going great for these people. I, I I, I could be wrong, but that's what I'm, what I'm picking up off of off is, of LA. So is Tim Kim or Chloe or, or which? All of them which, rolled into one. All of them rolled it, into one at this point. But I did hear Elway say really great things uh, about Tebow after after the, this last game. But you should you can just see him going, man. If I pulled any of this stuff, <laughs> I, Mike Shanahan would have sat my ass. <laughs> that is so funny. Has there ever been a Tebow like? Um, person in your profession, and by that I mean somebody who, for the first uh, 95% of shooting a TV mm-hmm. show or a film, shows the rest of the cast an inability to actually come through, and then when the cameras come on and the scene needs to be hit, he hits every single mark and he's winning Oscars. I Have know. I, I'm trying to think, wouldn't that be amazing? Because that, that is, what, it's almost like he, there's, he's not playing until he needs... It's unbelievable. Uh, Rob, I saw it. Uh, we had it, uh, the Jets at Denver. I saw it myself. Uh, it's the most tangible, intangible I've ever seen. He had eight straight three and outs. Last five minutes of the game, the whole stadium knew it was going to happen. 
and and the um, the Jets, just like the Bears did, turned into the Washington Generals to his Globetrotters. It was unbelievable how how the the opposition sort of plays into the narrative as think, it's unfolding. I think the opposition starts to choke. Well, I don't think they do start to choke because what the Bears did was just an unbelievable. I mean, you're right. They were the generals. So it's it's him, but he's, it's not only him raising his team up, but it's him psyching out the other team. And it's certainly, at a minimum, the other team's defensive coordinators. Those guys just go to sleep on the switch. It's unbelievable. I, I, and, but the Jets, like I said, they held him to eight straight three and outs. The Bears' defense, he threw uh, 11 straight incompletions, 11 in a row. And and then fourth quarter, 15 of 20, overtime, he made the throws. He was making all the throws. And it affects all three phases. The kicker hits it from darn near Wyoming. You know, uh, it's it's unbelievable how it works. Yeah, it was it was one of my it was one of my favorite games I've seen in, in, in I don't know how long. So exciting. But like I said, it's great. It's 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 great for the league. So you so you crystal ball twenty twelve for me, week one Colts, uh Peyton's there, Andrew Luck's holding the clipboard. That's what you think's gonna happen? And and uh do you think Caldwell you, Caldwell's the coach? Do you think that happens? I think I think Caldwell's hmm, I think Caldwell's not the coach. I, I think yeah, I think that's what happens. I really do. Look, I mean I think I think Bill Polian's gotta gotta you know, he's gotta get it right now. This season has been such a disaster. I mean, they did nothing. I'm not asking them to win a game. I'm just asking them to look good. And they, they got to they get it together. I mean, I love them, but this is tough love. Yeah, I agree with you. We, we've got them. This, we, is family inter- this is Colts intervention we're having right now. <laughs> we take them and we, 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 we pull up the, the white van next yep. to Lucas Oil, and we, we deprogram them. Is that what we do? We just throw them in the white van and we, drive off? We throw them in the white van and we go, look, we love you. We, we care about you. <laughs> but we can't let you keep hurting yourself. We won't be a part of it. <laughs> that's, that's what we're doing. Scared straight talk, man. Exactly. I hear you. Uh, let's talk about your film, I Melt With You. Uh, it, it looks uh, fun. It looks intense. It's about four guys who went to college together who get back together every single year having, uh, uh, I guess, an epiphany at the same time as uh, life-altering um, thoughts. Yeah. It's, what is that all about? You, you know what, man? This is really simple. This movie, this, this movie... I guarantee you, is without a doubt the most radical, in-your-face, intense, provocative movie you'll ever see. I mean, when I, when I read this script, I was, I, I was like, first of all, I can't believe they're making this movie. Mm-hmm. And if we do make it, and we make it well, there's going to be – certain people are going to think it's their favorite movie, movie they've ever seen, and other people are going to get up and leave because it's so radical. And and it is. I'm really I'm really proud of it. But it's it provokes very very strong responses. But I think if you're a guy, yeah, and 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 you're thinking about your life and where you've been in life, or if you're younger and thinking about where you want to go and what friendships mean and what it means to be a guy, I, I think you're going to dig this movie. Huge. But it is not for everybody. I mean, that is putting it mildly. And that's what I like about it, man. Every, look, Hollywood makes movies for everybody all the time. Right. So when there is one that is made not for everybody, I find that interesting. It's you and Jeremy Piven and uh, Thomas Jane. And Thomas Jane from Hong. It's, it's a good group of dudes. It's funny. It's, um, it's quotable. But I don't, know, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, I had, like, 
a certain canon of movies I would go to when I was in a certain mood. It was like Bad Lieutenant, King of New York. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? You know those kind of movies? Last Exit to Brooklyn, sort of yes. type dark, deep. That, Is that where this, this film, you put this film in with that? Without, I think this wow. film makes those movies look like Sandra Bullock movies. <laughs> No kidding, because I didn't. I didn't see Betty White in Last Exit to Brooklyn. I didn't see. I must have missed that scene. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty intense. No kidding. Oh yeah. For okay. Sure. Okay. Uh, I melt with you in a theater near you. Parks and Rec. How many seasons of that have you done now? Parks and Rec is. Well, I joined at the at the right. end of the second season, okay. and, and the show is in our our fourth. It's unbelievable. It's a hilarious program. It's. That is, there's some funny people on that show, Rob. I know. I'm loving it. I'm loving it, and 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 the sort of critical acceptance that we're getting is is really fun. I mean, when the show sort of captures that moment, really, mm-hmm. really great to be a part of. And we just it, it's it's genius. I really, really love being with everybody on it. There's everybody's one person is funnier than the next. Mm-hmm. And have we gone? We've gone uh, paperback on stories. I I only tell my friends. Have hey. we gone paperback? Uh, paperback in January. January. Ja- I mean, okay. so it's so you know. That's right around I, the corner. I'm thinking hardback cover for Christmas. There you go. That's that, what, that's what I'm thinking. Hardback cover for Christmas, and then uh, or, or pre-order, pre-order post. Everyone loves a post yeah. New Year's uh, present. Yeah. No, I've written a new foreword for 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 the paperback. Excellent. Uh, and uh, I'm, that's been, as you know, just an, an amazing journey. I, and I told this to you when you you came on when the book came out. Um, I guess this was back in April. Um, when the book came out, um, it's uh, no one can ever take that away from you. I know that's always the the phrase in the NFL when people win a Super Bowl. No one can ever take that away from you. And I don't know who that they would be that attempts to take it away from you anyway. But the book on the shelf. I know you've got so many different uh, um, accomplishments in your illustrious career, Rob. But I mean, a book on the shelf that 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 can't be touched. It's special, ways. and I have to admit, it's it's, it's special, and it and it makes me makes me feel good to, to look up and, and, and see it there. That's, that's for you sure. You wrote it yourself. I mean, and it can, you can tell too, you can tell that it's your voice that's on the page. Well, I mean, you can tell. And, and I'm, I made a deal this week to do my second one. And, and so I, I, I'm starting that and I, it's great cause I already have writer's block. <laughs> Which would keep you up at night, I'm sure. <laughs> it's called Love Life, the, the next book from right. uh, Simon and Schuster. Is that another uh, autobiography, or is, are you are you noveling right now? What is that? It, it's it's sort of it's a it's a collection of anecdotes and and essays about about things that make life worth living. Um, number one is sex. Number two is love. Mm-hmm. Um, family, fatherhood, sports, money, achievement, and it's you know. Stories of my life around those issues and sort of thoughts and feelings and and, and all that stuff. Fantastic. Forward by Jim Caldwell. That'll be great. He's I look gonna, forward hey, to that. He's going to be available. <laughs> You're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> hey Rob, thanks for calling in. I really appreciate it. I love getting your thoughts, and um, and I hope to see you soon down the road. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. You bet. That's right. Rob Lowe here on the Rich Eisen podcast. Pleased to have back on the Rich Eisen podcast, presented by Bud Light, the creator of ProFootballTalk.com, and he has turned it into an industry. Let's be honest. He is now a uh, a full-fledged member of NBC Sports. He is Mike Florio. How are you, Mike? Hey, Rich. I'm doing great, buddy. Good to be back with you. I am uh, pleased to have you. Uh, pleased to have you back on. Let's start. Uh, let's start with the Harrison hit because you you you've uh, written so much about um, the way the league approaches these types of hits, the way that the Steelers 
uh, sometimes feel put upon by that approach and also uh, by the fact that the Steelers in uh, some, some ways have indicated uh, by, through their actions that um, perhaps the coaching staff's not full on board with everything that the league is trying to do. Where do you think the league handing down this one-game suspension with Harrison sits with the Steelers? Well, the Steelers aren't going to like it. I've heard the players are firmly behind James Harrison, which is predictable. You have to support your teammate. But, Rich, let's assume that James Harrison genuinely believes that when a quarterback leaves the pocket and runs with the football, that he becomes fair game even if he throws while on the run. He remains fair and able to receive a helmet-to-helmet hit just like any other running back. That tells me that somebody in that organization is failing to tell the players what the rules are, because that's not the rule. If the quarterback is on the run and he throws while on the run, he still can't be struck in the head. He could be hit low while he's on the run. The Tom Brady rule goes away, but he can't be hit high, and that's something that the coaching staff needs to tell the players. So if James Harrison truly believes that, that means either he hasn't been told it by his coaching staff or he's just ignored it. Or he's just too small. You know what I mean? In, in that respect, it's, it, by that I mean that it just seems that most quarterbacks are going to be taller than him. And he, the way he hits, the, the crown of his helmet is almost always going to hit the quarterback in the grill. And certainly the way he sometimes seems to, you know, lead with his head. And that may be the problem, that he needs to somehow move his head to the left or the right moving forward. Otherwise, I mean, what is the next step? What is the next step if he does this, let's say, in week 16, he comes back and just he just lays out Sam Bradford or whichever Rams quarterbacks healthy enough to be put in front of the the uh, the Steelers defense that night? What, what What's next? Another suspension? Multiple I games? Up. I think it goes to two games. And I can recall Mark Carrier, the former safety, who's now an assistant coach with one of the teams, maybe the Jets. He was suspended multiple times for hits that violated the rules. And once you get to the point where you're suspending a player, the message is, look, we are trying to make it abundantly clear to you that you have to change your ways. And if this won't do it, we're going to have to go to a higher level. And it's all about progressive and graduated discipline. That's how we got to the point with James Harrison that he's being suspended one game. And I think the suspensions go up from here. And and I, I hear what you're saying about the helmet just kind of getting into that position where it hits the quarterback in the helmet. But there's a presumption that professional athletes have the ability to control their body. That may not be accurate when you're talking about how fast the game is, but Harrison didn't have to hit Colt McCoy in the jaw with his helmet. He could have used his shoulder. He could have broken five ribs on Colt McCoy, and it would have been a completely clean hit. That's true. Uh, the, the, the issue is, though, Mike, is it seems that the league is flagging too many instinctive plays just uh, to err on the side of caution and safety. And and you, ha- you, you can understand, I guess, where that comes from based on whatever statistics they are seeing that the public doesn't see in terms of concussions and what they what they can do uh, long-term. But what's the answer here? Because well, the thing, some, the some... thing I don't like, Rich, is erring on the side of caution, erring on the side of safety, because what happens is you have officials throw out flags when they shouldn't throw out flags, like the London Fletcher hit on Tom Brady from no Sunday, question. which clearly wasn't a penalty. But if you tell the officials they are on the side of caution, they're going to throw that flag. So they need to get rid of that. The ideal solution would be to come up with an efficient way to use replay no doubt. to determine when these helmet-to-helmet hits should or shouldn't be fined or hits on quarterbacks who are sliding or face masks like the one that the Lions got away with in that critical final play in Minnesota, against Minnesota. I've mentioned this to Rich McKay 
Mike, and he says we just don't want to stop the game. We don't want to make the game longer. We're not adding more plays to be considered reviewable by replay. They're just not going to do it. And to me, these things happen so quickly. You've been on a sideline. It's an unbelievable how fast this game is. It's remarkable how accurate these officials are, how, how much they get right based on all of this stuff. Uh, there's nothing more bang-bang than the helmet-to-helmet or whether a shoulder hit what. Why not make that reviewable? The question is, do you make it reviewable if it's not called? Can you throw a challenge flag to say a flag should have been called on that? Where do you draw the line? I don't think you, I don't think you throw a challenge flag for something safety-related. If the NFL is truly serious about safety, and I believe the NFL is, especially when it comes to head injuries, you don't say to the officials, err on the side of throwing the flag. You say, we will have a safety official in the replay booth who is spotting these things in real time, checking the replay, and buzzing down to throw the flag. This doesn't have to be the typical replay. And anytime someone says, we're going to slow down the game, it takes too long, my response is, well, why do we do this whole dog and pony thing where the referee strolls over the sideline, he picks up that big, you know, they put that headset on, they look like Mike Dukakis in the tank, and then they talk to somebody for a while, they get under the thing, they're down there for a while, they come back, they talk some more on the headset. Give him an iPad, right? They waste so much time. It can be done so much more efficiently. Give him an iPad. Give him an iPad. Do an iPad. Just tell them, do, do what college football does. Just have well, they'll never do that. that you trust. Nah, they'll tell never the referee what's going to happen. They'll never do that. They'll never they do that. To the, do that the refs, the head, the, the refs, the, the, the league wants the refs part of it. They want the refs with their own two eyes to see what's I don't like what. The, and it reminds me of there was a controversial call in that game a couple of weeks ago when Ron Winter had gotten crumpled at the bottom of the pile. He had to interpret some play later, and I thought, is this the right guy to be reviewing replay after he had 10 guys fall on top of him? So I think I think there's a benefit to have somebody who's out of the crucible looking at the replay, studying the replay and making a decision without all that stuff that the referee has to do. Well, Giant fans would think Ron Winner doesn't need to be hit by 10 people to not have to be in a position to decide anything anyway. <laughs> <laughs> some long memories on that one. But I, I I, I also think if the league is making every scoring play reviewable, they they clearly have uh they they clearly have in mind certain issues that they feel uh is worthy of review, uh to sacrifice the whole question of, of how long a game goes and to stopping the action. Uh and, and to me, I think they should get rid of that. Uh to me, I, I understand that scoring plays are crucial, they're the most crucial plays. But there are, are, are times when other uh, coaches have blown through their challenges in a ridiculous manner that get bailed out because they don't have to throw a challenge flag on that. And also uh, a situation where the Patriots lost a game in Buffalo because Fred Jackson was ruled to have scored. It was reviewed. Instead, it was put down at the half-yard line, and uh, Buffalo was able to just start kneeling the ball. And I don't think Bill Belichick would have ever reviewed Fred, whether Fred Jackson was in or not. He would have just let Fred Jackson score and stick his Hall of Fame quarterback back out there with a couple timeouts to try and tie the game. I mean, it, it, I think that there's some unintended effects with this whole thing, Mike. And it's a very slippery slope once you start doing that, expanding it beyond the final two minutes of the half of the game, which in and of itself is a recognition that there are certain points of a yeah. game that we treat as more important. And if that's the case, let's take it the rest of the way. Let's not just dip our toe into it. And I'm not saying every play should be reviewable, but scoring plays, turnovers, 
and whether or not a guy has gotten a first down. Those are the categories that should always be reviewable without a red flag being thrown, this stupid chess match of how many of my red flags do I keep in my pocket, and, and what happens if you're just a victim of a bunch of bad calls? You, you can't challenge another bad call because you've already successfully taken advantage of the three prior times you were screwed. I, I don't like any of that. You either want to get it right or you don't want to get it right. And by adding scoring plays to this list, Rich, they're moving closer and closer, I hope, to finally making the commitment to getting it right. Well, I, I, I'm going to predict they're going to yank that rule about scoring plays. I, I'm hearing there are certain people in the front office that, that find that um, irksome. And you know what the problem is? Once it's in as a permanent rule, and I believe it is, you need to find 24 who would say, let's get rid of it. I don't know it. if that, I know replay is, is perma, has permanence. I don't know if the certain aspects of replay has permanence. But that's we, key. If that's an experimental change, it only it takes nine to kill it. If it's, if it's a permanent change, it takes 24 to we'll kill see. it. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And I'm going to, I'll pound the table about reviewing these helmet to helmet plays. Um, but not, not, not if it hasn't been called. If it's been called, you can challenge that to, to have the flag picked up. But if it wasn't called, you can't throw the flag to, to have a flag thrown. I, I, I just think I, you take the flag out of it and you have a safety official who's up there telling the referee there was a clear helmet-to-helmet call that you missed or that that helmet-to-helmet call that you flagged wasn't helmet-to-helmet. These aren't pass interference penalties where there's judgment involved. And I'm not, I'm not in favor of replacing the judgment of the men on the field. But when you can watch the replay and clearly see what it was or right. what it wasn't, they should be able to fix that quickly. And it should, it should be something that you can do fairly quickly. What do we make of two, four, and nine head coaches getting the gate uh, in between weeks 14 and 15 to me? Mike, that what that says to me is that there's a big kahuna head coach that's either sitting on a television set or in a television booth somewhere or somebody who is kicking their heels up in Mount Kilimanjaro, if you will, um, and and um, saying, I'm not talking to you uh, until your vacancy exists. That's what it sounds like to me. What is What do you make of both Todd Haley and Tony Sperano getting the game? In both of those cities, there are general managers who are presumably going to continue to run the show. Jeff Ireland in Miami and Scott Pioli in Kansas City. So to the extent that either owner is infatuated with the possibility of getting a Bill Cower, you you make it harder to do that if you have a general manager who has authority over the roster, over the draft, because Cower or some other big name that has leverage, that has options, is, is going to want that. So I, I think this was more about, in Kansas City, it was overdue. That four-game winning streak delayed it. It was going to happen anyway, so they just decided, let's see if Romeo Cronell, the interim head coach, can do well enough over the next three weeks to merit serious consideration next year. And in Miami, I just think that there was all this talk about Sperano possibly saving his job down the stretch with that four and one performance at the at the sign of the first loss they just kicked him out the door and bolted it shut so they, there wouldn't be any talk about Sperano saving his job. So who else um, do you think is is going to get fired? What other head coaches do you think are 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 three games away from the pink slip? Well, the guys to watch in any given year, Rich, are the coaches who have one year remaining on their contracts because after the season that's when the team has to decide: do we extend the contract? Do we let the coach work as a lame duck, which rarely is successful, or do we just go ahead, bite the bullet on one year of a buyout, and move on? And at the top of the list, Steve Spagnuolo in St. Louis, one year left on his contract. I can't imagine him coming back. The only issue is how high up it goes in the organization. Do they clean house? Raheem Morris is in serious trouble in Tampa. Seven straight losses, an ugly 41 points given up to a Jaguars team that hadn't scored more than 20 all year. I think Raheem is in serious trouble, 
and Jim Caldwell, if they go 0-16 in Indianapolis, how in the world do you justify bringing Jim Caldwell back for next season? They're going to have to move on. Regardless of whose fault it was or wasn't, I just don't think you can bring a coach back after you go 0-16. So those three are the hottest to watch. And there's always a surprise or two, isn't there? You know, the yep. year Shanahan and Gruden were fired, nobody expected that. So there could be a couple of weird curveballs out there. I think Andy Reid's safe, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if uh, Dan Snyder decides I want to move on from Mike Shanahan and it wouldn't surprise me if Jerry Jones decides to move on from Jason Garrett, even though Jones said Tuesday that, that he doesn't plan to. I find the Snyder, that Snyder um, supposition, uh, I, I, don't, I don't see that happening. I, I just I, I see them staying in the Shanahan course at least one more year, seeing what they can do in the draft and getting a quarterback and see what he'd do with that. Because clearly, you know, uh, I, if, I'm, if I'm Jeff Lurie, I say to Andy Reid, who's, who's your new defensive coordinator, pal? I know you've got contractual right as to who you get to coach, but let's, let's, let's talk as men here. Um, and if I'm Snyder, I call Shanahan in and say, listen, I understand you've got control on the roster, but who's, who's our quarterback here? Come on now. And if I'm Jerry Jones... I see Jeff Fisher out there. I, I, I you know what I'm saying? That, <laughs> yep. that, that's, that's where he might get a trigger finger. And if Garrett doesn't make the playoffs this year, he's given a little bit more, a uh, little bit more ammunition for the for the coach to make a move like that. I think. One thing to keep in mind with Snyder: no coach other than Joe Gibbs has made it for two two years, no more than two kidding. years rather, under Snyder's ownership wow. since 1999. And and here's the other thing too. You know, Snyder's very impulsive. He's too much of a fan. He's not sufficiently detached to make the kind of prudent decisions long term. And he gives up on guys too quickly. And he's got Bruce Allen in there as his general manager. And who's Bruce Allen been tied to all those years in Oakland and Tampa? He's been tied to John Gruden. So it just wouldn't shock me if, if, Snyder does something unpredictable and impulsive because we've seen it before. He ran Marty Schottenheimer out after one year, Steve Spurrier after two. It just wouldn't shock me if he decides to make a change. Where does Fisher wind up? You know, Dallas makes a heck of a lot of sense. And and there's a perception that he's at the very top of the A-list for not winning a Super Bowl. It's surprising that he'd be held in that regard. But I think Dallas does make a lot of sense. I I just don't know any of these places that have general managers in place. I I think Fisher's going to want to go through the door and get full leverage and be fully responsible because he went through it with Floyd Reese and Mike Reinfeldt in Tennessee. I think think Fisher thinks he's at the point where he gets to buy the groceries and he's going to hold out for a job that gives him that. Well, and he should. Uh, I mean, the man wound up. Rules out Dallas, Rich. Well, I, no, no, I hear you that. I hear that. Well, Parcells was able to go there and be successful. Um, you know, and let's not forget uh, where the Cowboys would be without Romo. I don't know what you could say about Romo. Romo and Demarcus Ware. I mean, those are the two mainstays on either side of the ball. And who's the one who brought him there? I mean, Parcells was able to was able to do what he needed to do. And you know, with Fisher though, I think it's unfair to say you know that he he shouldn't be considered as a list. I mean, the man was three feet short. You know what I mean? I mean, he was three feet short in that one Super Bowl to be. He, and I know, I, I, I know ifs and buts, candies and nuts, and all that stuff. But uh, to me, I, I think he is a, an A-list coach, and I, I would, if I was an owner, I'd treat him as such. Well, I, I, maybe he's bottom of A-list. I'm just saying he's not the top guy. He's not the gotcha. first guy that you want to go after. And a lot of these teams, we we assume that they want to go after the Fishers and the Cowers and the Grudens, but some of these owners don't really want to pay the freight that would be associated with a guy like that. And that may be one of the reasons why Gene Smith is still the general manager in Jacksonville Mm -hmm. and Ireland is still the GM in Miami. Stephen Roth can say all he wants about turning over every stone, and there can be reports about all the guys he wants to hire, but you put an impediment to what kind of a coach you're going to get by having a GM in place. talked about that earlier, but I think that's that's a... uh, 
a realistic uh, factor to keep in mind when you're looking at teams who who may go after some of these big names because the big names come with big price tags. All right, let's let's uh, before I let you go, let's promote the uh, Florio Empire here, the Pro Football Talk Live, right? That's every, every day. Every day. That's the web show that we do. You've been on it uh, at least a half dozen times since we launched last January. I'm sort of like your Bette Midler. On your last show, I'll come on, I'll sing to you, Mike. <laughs> Maybe sooner rather than later. <laughs> NBC Sports Talk is a show that, that I, I'm involved with twice a week, Mondays and Fridays during the season. Peter King and I are, are uh, involved on Fridays with Russ Thaler. He's the host Monday through Friday. On, and the, on the soon-to-be former Versus. That's right? right. It's Versus for now. It's NBC Sports Network on January 2. And on January 2, the day they flip the switch, Peter and I will be in Connecticut for a 90-minute special oh. all-NFL sports talk because it's the day after the season ends. It's Black Monday. Coaches will be fired. The playoff... Uh, pairings will be set, so there'll be so much to talk about. But on the day that they change the network's name, it'll be a 90-minute sports talk, 6 p.m. Eastern time on on what will be NBC Sports Network, not Versus. It's going to take me a while to unlearn saying Versus. Yeah, it'll be okay. You'll but you'll get it straight. And it's 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 a great group up there. It's a lot of fun. It makes for a long Monday because we do we do the PFT live at noon. We do the sports talk at six. I take the train home. I get home at 3 a.m. Tuesday. But now that we're getting toward the end of the season, I'm really going to miss it. It's really a fun day, and uh, it, it beats working for a living, no, no matter doubt. how many hours it keeps me awake. Hey, Mike, congrats on all your success. It's well-deserved, well-earned, and uh, I will see you down the road. Thanks for calling in. All right. Thanks, Rich. That's none other than Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, NBC Sports, and soon-to-be of the NBC Sports Network, joining me on the show. Fantastic show. I couldn't be more thrilled with the guest list. I'm thrilled with every guest list, but when you get Matt Damon, Rob Lowe, Al Michaels, Mike Florio in one uh, one show, that's a good football entertainment program, if I may say so myself. Chris Law, my podcast producer, is nodding in agreement. He has no choice. I mean, we work together every week, but uh, good times, and I hope you enjoyed the chat between uh, those guys and uh, and the program. Uh, the Bud Light fan camps for this week. Nashville, New York City has a Bud Light fan camp. New York, New York, a town so nice they named it twice. Las Vegas and Austin. This might be this this matches our 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 guest list for the show. This is the best Bud Light fan camp list yet. Nashville, New York, Las Vegas, and Austin, which may just be the most underrated city on that list. Austin, Texas, is a fantastic town. Um, that is the uh, list for the Bud Light fan camps this week. Go to the Bud Light Facebook page for more information. And just know this, though. Uh, you must be 21 years or older to enter. And and uh, and don't try to flout that. Don't try to flout that. The people at Bud Light know. They know. Trust me. They know. Two games this week. Atlanta, Jacksonville, Thursday night, Saturday night. Tampa hosting the Cowboys that is the lineup this week on NFL Network. I want to thank Chris Law, Michael Hayden, and the rest of the crew that puts this puppy together. Next week, Dan Patrick will be on the program. My buddy DP from his man cave chatting with me from my shower closet here at the NFL Media Studios. That's it. Thanking again, Matt Damon, Rob Lowe, Al Michaels, Mike Florio. Peace out. Stay listening, friends. 